Praise the Lord. Today um, we are celebrating Palm Sunday. And um, it's a little different than a lot of the Palm Sundays we've celebrated in the past. And um, this morning I just want to really shed light on that day. And um, I don't know if the, the church always appreciates Palm Sunday. And so this morning, I'm going to pray that God will open up the Word and um, that He'll speak to our hearts and we'll have a greater appreciation for this this day that we celebrate Palm Sunday. Uh, So if you would, I'm going to start in Psalm chapter 118, verse 24. Psalm 118, verse 24. It says... This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today, Lord God. This is a glorious, glorious day, Lord. Lord, I just pray today, Lord God, that you would unlock the mysteries of your word, Lord God, the riches of your word, Lord And Lord, I just pray right now that you would minister to our hearts, Lord God. Father, that we would see the rejoicing that there is in this day, Lord God, Palm Sunday, Lord. And I just pray that you would bless your word, bless your people, Lord. Father, let this be like meat, Lord God, to their soul, Lord. I pray to bless this word, Lord God. In your name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Title of my message is, O Glorious Day. And uh, many people have read this scripture in the past. In fact, um, I know a lot of you probably have this scripture on uh, something in your house. Um, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And that is a great scripture every day just to look at. And um, and just thank God for the day that we have and how glorious it is and how wonderful it is and to bless that particular day. And that's a wonderful way to use that particular psalm. But what you may not realize is that particular scripture is rever- referring to a specific day in history. And when you begin to realize what day in history that that particular psalm is addressing, you realize that today is that day that we're celebrating. Uh, This particular psalm is a prophetic psalm, and um, it's about the Messiah. And it's a psalm about the story of when the Messiah will enter Jerusalem on one specific day in history. And when you get a hold of this prophetic psalm, and what it symbolizes and what it means and what it's prophesying, um, you will get excited about this glorious, glorious day that God is referring to here. So I'm going to read Psalm chapter 118, verse 22 through 29. It says, The stone that the builders rejected, he has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
Save us, we pray, O Lord. Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he, now remember this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up from the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So as we begin to look at this, this is a a, a festive psalm that is actually sung um, during the Passover week. In fact, Psalms 113 through Psalms 118 are called the Egyptian Hallel. It's the uh, celebration songs that they sing as they enter Jerusalem uh, during the week of Passover. And in order to understand prophetically what, what, what is trying to be stated here, we have to go back just a little bit. And as we begin to read Matthew chapter 21, 1 through 11, we begin to see that everything that is being prophesied in this psalm is actually being spoken as Jesus enters Jerusalem for the final week of his life. In fact, um, Palm Sunday is Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem uh, for the final week of his life. The most important week in the history of the world is about to commence, and it commences with what's called the triumphal entry. In fact, Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 11, which I'm about to read, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 20, and John chapter 12, all give an account of what we call the triumphal entry. And the triumphal entry is Jesus entering Jerusalem, and many times we don't understand what's going on with the triumphal entry, which is also what we celebrate for Palm Sunday. But it says in Matthew chapter 21, it says, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Now remember, they're on the Mount of Olives entering uh, from the eastern side of the city, the outer gate on the eastern side, which is the Messiah Gate. A lot of people don't realize where they're entering here, but it'll become very important later. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to to daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt and a foal of a donkey. This is actually Zechariah. Uh, 600 years before this moment, he prophesied that Jesus would come in on a donkey. And it says the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to, to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those... Um, that followed, shouted. Now here's what they shouted on the day that he walked into Jerusalem. They're quoting Psalms 118. They're saying, Hosanna, which means save us in Hebrew. They're saying, save us, the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the high, in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and they asked, What is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now you may look at that story and say, wow, that is an awesome story. Jesus Christ is entering Jerusalem and the people are beginning to recognize that this is the king that has been prophesied. This is the Messiah that the prophets have spoken about for hundreds, even thousands of years. And so he's beginning to enter Jerusalem. But what we don't realize is that day was set in stone in eternity for Jesus to enter and the king was to present himself to the people. As we go back a little bit in prophecy, we go to Daniel chapter 20, chapter 9 verse 25. Now this may be um, one of the most important prophecies in the Bible. So if you've never studied prophecy, most prophecy scholars will say this is the key to end time prophecy. So really pay attention to this scripture. It says, know therefore and understand. And here's the thing. For many, many thousands of years, we didn't understand what Daniel was trying to say. But if you apply yourself to understand this, you'll see the mystery of Palm Sunday. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. You say, well, man, what does that mean? This is what's famously called the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy. And in the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy, he breaks it up into a seven-week period, a 62-week period, and a one-week period, which adds up to 70 weeks. You say, well, why did he break it up into three sections? I'm glad you asked. The first seven weeks... And I could go into a lot of detail here, but the seven weeks symbolize years. And so the first seven years equals, seven weeks equals 49 years. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that when the order is given to go rebuild Jerusalem, seven years or seven sevens, 49 years, it's going to take to build the temple. And... As you begin to compute these years, it becomes very fascinating because exactly to the day in Nehemiah chapter 2 through 4, you see the exact prophecy of the temple being built in that seven, 49-year period, seven weeks. Then there's a 62-week period. Multiply that by seven. Do a little bit of um, calibration as far as 360-day years, I can give you the math, but it'll take a little longer. But anyway, it adds up as you begin to add those 483 years from the time of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. It adds up to, get this, 173,880 days. 173,880 days into the future, the Bible says the Messiah will come. Now, here's one thing we know for sure. The date that the proclamation came was March 14th of 445 B.C. That's when King Artaxerxes said, go build, rebuild Jerusalem in the temple. 
From that date on March 14th, if you add 173,880 days, you come up with the date, April the 6th, the day that Jesus walked into Jerusalem. This is one of the most amazing prophecies. In fact, a lot of people will say this is one of the most, this is the most amazing prophecy in the Bible. 173,880 days into the future, God said that the Messiah will come. And Jesus, that day, came into Jerusalem on a donkey to present himself as king. God wanted to make sure the very hour, the very day, the very moment, they would not miss the Messiah walking in to Jerusalem. And it says that even his disciples in John chapter 12, it says this, Jesus asked them to go get a donkey for him to sit on. And it says, at first the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things would be done to him. You understand he's telling them to go get a donkey so I can ride into Jerusalem in a certain specific way. But even his disciples didn't understand what he was doing that day. But he was fulfilling a prophecy. Zechariah wrote his prophecy 600 years before Jesus was born. Daniel's prophecy was in print and provable by history 700 years in advance of Jesus' birth. And on the exact day God said that he would be riding in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus shows up to enter Jerusalem for them to receive their king. Now what's very interesting about Jesus is up until that point, he would not allow anybody, he would not allow them to publicly say he was the Messiah. In fact, uh, his brothers at one point in John chapter 7, verse 3, it says, His brothers said to him, Depart from here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works that you're doing, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks uh, to, uh, while he himself seeks it to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Meaning his brothers, his own natural brothers, he said, any time's good for you, but I'm waiting for the perfect time. And that perfect time to present himself as Messiah was on Palm Sunday. But why was it so important for him to reveal himself as Messiah on Palm Sunday? In Psalm 118, it says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And Psalm 118 is specifically talking about what he would do on this particular day. And it says that... Um, one of the first things that he did, and a lot of people don't realize this, but on Palm Sunday, um, this is the specific day. This is four days before Passover. And in the, in the regulations for Passover that you find in Exodus, the Bible says that four days before the Passover, you're to bring the lamb that is to be slain for the nation, 
and you're to bring it to the temple and let it be examined by the priests. And so the exact day that the lamb is to go to the temple to be examined is Palm Sunday. And so Jesus, when he enters into the city, they begin singing, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. They're receiving him as a king. And guess where he goes directly to? The Bible says he goes directly to the temple to be examined by the chief priests. And as he's examined, Mark chapter 12 and 13 says he was examined four times. And they could find no fault in him. Then it says he went to the secular authorities. And the secular authorities said the exact same thing. We can find no fault in him. The Passover lamb has shown up in Jerusalem. And after they inspected the lamb in the Old Testament, when they expected their Passover lamb, which the Bible says Jesus is our Passover lamb given by God. All other Passover lambs were symbolic of Jesus dying for the world. And when they inspected the lamb and found there was no defect and no um, uh, nothing wrong with the lamb, no blemishes on the lamb, then they would exclaim, Behold the lamb. And so when Jesus came into this world, it was exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so he went to the temple, they examined him, they couldn't find any blemish in him, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Uh, Even the secular authorities said, I find no fault in him. They examined him for four days. And understand this, then they began to sacrifice the Passover lamb, which is the oldest religious uh, observance in the world. How many know that? It's the oldest religious observance in the world, the Passover lamb, to take away the, to cover the sins of the people. And that Passover lamb was there uh, to help us remember that God is going to send his own lamb that will take away the sins of the world. And they did it perpetually to remember that God is going to send his son someday. And that glorious day has come. Jesus walked into the city, presented himself to the priests for four days. They could not find any fault in him. He was out without spot. He was without blemish. And the Bible says that the exact moment that the Passover lamb was being slain, Jesus was being crucified on the cross. Our Passover lamb. Praise the Lord. Also, It's very significant where Jesus entered the city. A lot of people in their mind have pictures of Palm Sunday and Jesus entering as the king. And this is an entrance to a city like no other entrance of a king that we've ever seen. In fact, it says that in those times, the most uh, common way that a king would enter a conquered city, a city that he has conquered, He would enter that city on a charger. He would enter that city on a giant horse. Alexander the Great had a special giant horse that he would enter cities on. And most kings would enter with lots of um, celebration and and lots of shows of their might and their power and, and, and to terrify the people with their rule and their reign. But the Bible says in Zechariah that this particular king will be very different. 
He will be very humble. He'll be very gentle. And it says that he will enter on a tiny little young donkey. And so I love this. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, but we picture a lonely little road and coming into the city. But how many know that it says he entered from the Mount of Olives? Now, if you've ever seen Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is the mount that overlooks the temple. And there's only one gate to enter there, and it's called the Messiah Gate. It's the gate that is now cemented shut because they're afraid the Messiah is going to return by that same gate that he came in originally. And so Jesus entered on a little donkey to proclaim, I am the king of the world. And it said he came gently on a donkey. That gate is not only called the eastern gate, it's also called the golden gate. It's also called the gate called beautiful. It's also the gate called mercy. It's also the gate called repentance. And so Jesus entered into that gate gently, proclaiming to the world, I love you. I'm giving you Myself as a sacrifice, I'm laying my life down. I'm dying for you gently on the back of a donkey. Mercy and repentance and grace is being offered in this day. But one day I'm going to return to the exact same gate and I will bring my wrath. First I come as a gentle lamb. Then I come as a conquering king. But I love you so much that I'm going to offer myself to let you know I want to know you. And so Jesus entered into that gate on that day, proclaiming to the world that I am the king of the world. And then it says another thing that he did on that day that's very fascinating. Jesus walked in and began to be examined by the chief priests. And there's one phrase prophetically in Psalm 118, and that same phrase is found in every um, of his entries into Jerusalem when he's challenged by the chief priests in question. And that phrase is, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that's when the, the psalmist says, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's referring back to the day that he walked in and was rejected and at the same time became the cornerstone. You say, well, man, what happened? Because in that day they were disappointed because a lot of the people thought he was going to be a conquering king that would wipe out the Roman government and institute his kingdom at that moment. But the Bible says that the Messiah in Daniel's prophecy said the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself, but for you. And it says that he would um, be rejected, and in his rejection, he would become the cornerstone. And you say, well, man, what is a cornerstone? Some some versions of your Bible will say capstone. And uh, that's not a very good way to say it, because a cornerstone in those days um, was not what we see in a lot of our buildings. A lot of our buildings, we see that the building was built in a certain year, certain people built it, and it's been dedicated But in those days, a cornerstone was something that was built, and it was the first stone that was laid for the building of the building. And so when that first stone was laid, 
Everything else had to be in alignment with that stone. Everything was built around that stone. That building could not be built without that stone because everything was built in proximity to that stone. And so this psalm in Psalm 118 actually has a double meaning to it. When it was originally written, Psalm 118 was a psalm that most likely was written when they were rebuilding the temple uh, way back during the prophecies and during the period of time with Ezra and Nehemiah. And so this gives it even more meaning to us because they start proclaiming that the cornerstone has been laid for this temple. God is rebuilding his temple. God's doing a great thing. Jesus came into the city to proclaim this temple is going to be destroyed. He said, this temple will be destroyed in three days. I will raise it up and build a new one. And so Jesus came into Jerusalem to exclaim to the chief priests and the leaders in the temple to say, I am building a new temple today. I'll be resurrected. I'll, I'll be crucified. I'll be resurrected. And today I lay a cornerstone in Jerusalem for a new temple that I'm going to build. And it says that day when Jesus walked into the city, he began to lay a cornerstone for a new temple. Listen to this. When he was resurrected, Peter began to preach to the chief priests and he said, the one that the builders rejected, you leaders, has become the capstone. Uh, Paul began to teach. He said, this capstone um, is the, the foundation of this new temple built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus began at this time to lay the cornerstone of our lives. And the Bible says that those, in fact, let me read this. It says from Paul, we are built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 5, or 6 and 7 says, Behold, I am laying a foundation in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in me will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone of the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 19, 22 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus... is the cornerstone of a new temple that he's going to build. And I don't think we get a hold of this. He is the foundation of our lives. That means he is the first stone that we are to use to build our lives. Everything has to be in alignment with him. He's building a holy temple in our lives so we can be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And he began it on that day the foundations of our faith. Now listen to this parable that he told them in the temple that day. Right before he says, I am the stone that the builders rejected, 
listen to the bold parable that Jesus told the scribes and the high priests. Listen to this. I'm going to go from Mark's account, but it's in three different accounts. It says, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for a wine press and built a watchtower. So listen to this. He built a very nice agricultural area, put a wall, put a watchtower, built it hoping to get fruit out of it, right? It says, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent one of his servants to the tenants to collect from them the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized the man, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Okay, pretend like you built a vineyard. You rented it to a farmer. You had an agreement to get some of the fruit from the farmer. You go to get some of your profits, and the person you sent was beaten and uh, sent away empty-handed. That's a little frustrating. It says, but... They seized him, beat him, sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another servant, and that one also was killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He's talking about all the people that God has sent in his name to get people right with God. And everyone that God sent, they didn't want to hear their message. They didn't want to hear God's word. They didn't want to hear God's expectations for life. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. And it says, so finally, what does he do? And this, if you're not getting this, this is God speaking to us. And it says, finally, he had one last person left that he could send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. When then the owner of the, what, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this message, passage of scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests and the teachers of law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now let me relook at this day. Because Jesus Christ, I want you to imagine as we close, what could have that day been like? What could that day have been like when he sent the king of the world to that city and said, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, and they would have received him. Now the Bible says that that 70th week of Daniel, that very last week of Daniel is the book of Revelation. That last seven years is what's going to come upon the earth very soon, the 70th week of Daniel. And and what would have happened, though, if they would have received their king that day? He says, now I will not come back 
to those people until they say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That's what Jesus said that day. Now, if they would have received him as their king, church, I want you to begin to look at this glorious day that is coming. Because the Bible says that this same Jesus is going to descend again on the Mount of Olives in that exact same location that he entered on Palm Sunday. He's going to enter, he's going to, he's going to descend on that same Mount of Olives and guess who's going to be with him? The Bible says all those who believe will be with him. And it says that we're going to enter through that gate with the Messiah. And oh, what a glorious day that is going to be. What a glorious day when Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to return. He's going to enter that city. Um, the Bible says that, there, that, that he will rule the nations. And church, I want you to, even though the times are difficult, the times are hard, I want you to know that there is coming a glorious day for all those who believe. And we're going to enter that city with him through that same gate. And the day that could have been is the day that soon will be. And let me ask you today, as we close, there is a time in everybody's life where they have to either accept or reject Christ. And this story is very clearly an example of a group of very rebellious people that refuse to accept him as their king. And the Bible says that I am building a heavenly temple out of flesh and blood. Those who believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life, he becomes their cornerstone. But what about those who don't recognize him as the Lord of their life? What about those who don't recognize him as the king that's been prophesied about more than any person in the world that's ever existed? God has sent his son to save us. God has sent his son to reclaim this world. He is the king of the earth. And today, don't reject Jesus Christ. On this Palm Sunday, let this be the glorious day you receive him as the king of your life. He becomes the foundation of your life. He becomes the one that everything in your life is patterned around and built around and built upon because every other foundation is like sinking sand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much, Lord. And Lord, I can see this glorious day in the past, Lord. But Lord, I can even more so see this glorious day when you return, Lord. Lord, when this... um the day when you gloriously return to your church, return to this world, Lord God. And uh, Lord, not on a donkey next time, Lord God, but as a conquering king, Lord God. Every problem, every tear, every disease, Lord, everything that we struggle with in this world, Lord God, there will be a glorious day, Lord God, when it will all end, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for that, Lord God, and we celebrate you today, on this Palm Sunday, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you bless everybody that's uh, listening here today, Lord. And uh, Lord, I know it's a difficult time, Lord God, but you said when times get difficult, Lord God, uh, that we should look up, Lord, because our redemption draweth nigh, Lord God. You said comfort ourselves with these words, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray right now that you would send comfort, Lord, to those who need it, Lord God. Father, I just pray that... uh, 
Lord, we'd be those who would recognize you are king, Lord God, today, tomorrow, and forever, Lord. We ask all these things in your name, I pray, Lord. Amen.